Kia ora and welcome to Consume This with me, John Duffy, and my co-host, Sophie Richardson. Kia ora. For many of us here in Aotearoa, it's the season to be merry. It's the time of overindulgence and gift-giving and cheer. The sun's out, the sea's warm, the streets are stained with pahutakawa, and producer Tom has put up some fairy lights in the studio. So I am calling it. Christmas is officially here. Soph, are you in the Christmas spirit yet? I sure am, Rudolph. Mm. I have my Christmas tree up, I've bought all my presents, I've planned the Christmas menu, I'm just, I'm ready to go, John. How about you? I've bought nothing. Our tree is not up, although my children have been nagging me for a month to put the tree up. <laughs> um, but I've steadfastly maintained that December is Christmas month and uh, it can't go up before December. I decided that we needed some early joy this year based on, you know, general COVID shenanigans. <laughs> so each week on Consume This, we take on one big issue, something that's affecting our lives right now. And today, my life is being affected by Christmas. <laughs> sure, it's a lot of fun, but it can also be stressful. Negotiating with families on where it's going to be spent, planning endless catch-ups with friends, and figuring out what to get the boss in the obligatory work secret centre. Well, you are the boss this year, John, so uh, yeah, well, other people what, have to worry about that. We'll see what we get. <laughs> uh, if you're feeling stressed about that, remember, an old boss of our executive producer, Gemma, once got her an axe. I mean an axe. A physical axe. <laughs> Come on. What was he thinking? And what was he trying to say? Axe murderer. Jim yeah. is <laughs> all right. She's not that bad. Today, Sophie and I have got each other some not-so-secret Santa gifts that we'll be unwrapping a bit later in the show. Yeah, I love presents. But of course, gift-giving goes way beyond Secret Santa. There are partners, friends, and family, and at least for me, children. So take a second to think about it. Be honest with yourself. How much do you really think you spend on Christmas? Soph, give us a number. Mm, this year, I don't know, under $1,000 on all of the gifts. Well, <laughs> according to a survey by financial website Finder, last year on average, New Zealanders spent $1,012 on Christmas. Oh, well, that sounds round about what I'm spending then, so I'm not yeah, that far off the average New Zealander. I think I'd probably be in that ballpark as well. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, from their from their research, the biggest chunk of that, and it's a massive $352, went on buying Christmas gifts. So that was including food then? That's including everything else. So oh, are you shit. saying you're way out the other end of that? Yeah, I'd say I'd be on the other side of that then with food and alcohol and what yeah, not. that alcohol. I mean, that's loads of money because, yeah. well, it is loads of money. Mm. On the most recent round of our Consumer NZ Sentiment Tracker, we asked New Zealanders how they felt about Christmas spending. And the results were pretty stark, with around about half um, of the people surveyed feeling stressed about it. Mm. I'm not surprised. It is quite stressful. Yeah. Over the next half an hour or so, we're unwrapping the humble Christmas present. Why do we buy each other gifts? Gift giving obviously generates certain reciprocal feelings, right? If you give me a gift, I feel the need to reciprocate. That leads to creation of what you might think of as networks of reciprocity. And where does the tradition come from? The exchange of gifts between family members was very much a thing that developed in the 19th century Victorian period. Where is it going and is it sustainable? There's obviously growing concern about the environmental aspects of 
consumer products. We don't want too much glitter on wrapping and plastic and so on. How are shops using it to sell us things? And why is it we're so much less likely to opt out of Christmas giving than giving presents on other holidays? Christmas is an interesting one. Gift giving is such a social norm and so expected that it's actually really hard not to give gifts that's just so consistently normal because we see the external cultural artefacts like movies and television and music and all sorts of things telling us that this is an important thing. Is it good for our souls or are we hamsters in a corporate driven wheel of overconsumption? Dun dun dun. As we get into the episode, we're going to be digging deeper into the psychology and economics of gift giving. Because, as we've heard, that can be a real minefield. It can be pretty awkward if you give someone fancy jewellery and they offer up a half-eaten box of roses in return. Cheap bastards. But before we even dig into this a little bit further, I really want to know why giving gifts is such a strong part of our Christmas tradition. Where did it even come from? Gifting is common in many, many cultures throughout the world, of course, but the origins of our Christmas gifting culture, we can thank or blame the Romans. <laughs> so it goes back a very long way. And for the Romans, giving of gifts at New Year in particular, but occasionally at Christmas, was quite a big deal. So it was considered to convey good fortune for the year if you exchanged gifts or gave gifts. This is Ellie Clark. She's New Zealand's unofficial Christmas historian. While we were researching the history of gift giving for this episode, we contacted Te Papa, the Hocken Archives, the Ministry of Culture and Heritage, and they all pointed me in Ellie's direction. So far, we're celebrating midwinter in ancient Rome. But how on earth did we make the leap to Aotearoa? Well, really just through European migration to New Zealand and colonisation, so I brought a lot of European practice to New Zealand back in the day. Yeah, so you can already find people advertising Christmas things, particularly Christmas food, but occasionally gifts in newspapers in New Zealand in the 1840s and 50s. So it came over with the some of the early colonists. Like so many of our Pākehā traditions, it spread to iwi across the motu. And I suspect that's the case for many other more recent migrant groups. So there's so much you can do at Christmas that doesn't involve any recognition of a religious occasion when you come from another religion that many people probably do things like exchange gifts or decorate and so on and there's no um, it's not difficult for people to keep is it and I think it's such a widely kept holiday in New Zealand that other groups have adopted it there are some early examples of German migrants to New Zealand they were some of the first people to have Christmas trees in this country and then later when they were popularised in Britain via Germany, British migrants started bringing them here as well. People would have um, parties where they'd have a whole lot of children round and then they'd have gifts tied to the tree and each child received a gift. So that was one way of giving gifts. And then later in the 19th century was the development of the Christmas stocking and that became associated early in the 20th century with Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town. So, to get back to what you were talking about at the start of the show, John, does that mean Christmas is becoming increasingly more commercialised over the years? One of the interesting things about Christmas as a consumer occasion is that people are always talking about how, oh, it's all just so commercialised and 
you know, there's too much consumerism around Christmas. But actually, we've got a very long tradition of those complaints. So they go right back a couple of hundred years, people complaining about Christmas being too commercial. It's always been a commercial holiday. So go right back to the earliest New Zealand newspapers and you find people advertising special roast beef and geese are available for Christmas feasts and toys and books are available for gifting. So it's always been a commercial occasion. It has always been an occasion for marketing. So essentially, gift giving has been around in Aotearoa for as long as Christmas itself. And whilst the way we give gifts might have changed according to our Christmas historian, Ali, it's always been a highly marketed and commercialised occasion. We're going to come back to that a bit later on, as well as giving you a few tips to maximise your gifting impact. But first, Sophie... It's present time. Yay! I love presents. Merry Christmas, John. Merry Christmas. You can unwrap the gift in front of you. Yay. This is a very rectangular shaped axe. Yeah, we both have got very square looking presents. Oh, Jesus, this is very well wrapped. Thank you. It is a book. It is The Wellbeing Economics by Paul Dalziel. And it is very appropriate because it's by Bridget Williams Books. And you also have a BWB text in front of you. Yes, it is called Too Much Money, How Wealth Disparities Are Unbalancing Aotearoa New Zealand by Max Rashbrook. So, oh, this is great. Thank you. That's very thoughtful. Um, So these are good Secret Santa presents. What's the worst one you've ever had? Uh, Well, it was a while ago now, but... Way back when, uh, when we used to work in the same office, I got a terrible Christmas present and it was particularly annoying because I'd organised the entire Christmas party that year and I'd organised the secret Santa and I'd done all the food and the drinks and I'd made sure that, that I'd increased the secret Santa budget to $20 so people didn't get like, you know, tatty crap. And then I got tatty crap. I got a pair of unicorn fucking sunglasses and I was ropeable. You would have looked really becoming in those. I was still mad about it. Really? Yeah. Oh. And I was so mad that um, Vanessa got upset on my behalf and went and bought me a replacement secret set. What did she get you? She got me a really nice um, tea um, set. Well, now you'll understand why um, I felt so much pressure to get you a good gift this time. Yeah. <laughs> so was it actually you? No. Yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't know you from a white spider, so I just got something worth around about $20. It was not $20. Yeah, it was from yeah. Kmart. It was not from Kmart. I don't shop at Kmart. It was from like Ico Ico or something like that. Surely not. Yep. Okay, well, I'm very sorry, but also it was terrible. Um. <laughs> yeah, not enough thought. Yeah. Uh, I probably had about 30 seconds between meetings to buy something and uh, <laughs> took a walk up Cuba Street and um, managed to find something that I thought was appropriate, not knowing Sophie particularly well. Um, that would be the <laughs> genuinely nation. caused me to start to rage. Yeah, like, I know. That's quite a reaction. Yeah. It's just Secret Santa. No, I put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, but just because you put a huge amount of thought into it doesn't mean you need to get to transpose that to other people. Yes, it does. That's well, but the not every point. No, it's not. That's a real imposition, I think. Really? Yeah. I mean, just and that just it just ratchets up the pressure. I mean, I had no idea you were like this. <laughs> I mean, knowing that now, I've gone for a much... More and knowing you a whole lot better. Yes. You know. 
Yeah. And it's, <laughs> think about it yes. from my perspective, you know, I was like your manager's manager and it's an absolute minefield buying for a staff member. You know, this there's so many different ways that a gift can be interpreted as inappropriate. So just get something that's kind of throwaway neutral. and meaningless and neutral. It's the safest position to be. And I'm not trying to justify what you've perceived as a shit gift, but um, my daughter would have loved that. This has caused like a rift between us now, Tom. I don't know if you wanted to open up this wound. No, look, I, I actually, I knew you were upset about it because uh, I think we did a Christmas, we did some team outing at Zelandia not so long after that. And oh, yeah. I was walking behind you down the stairs and I heard you moaning about it to one of our colleagues. And someone brought me these glasses, these unicorn glasses or whatever the hell they were. And I was just like, oh, just, just get quiet and just keep walking. You're basically playing the part of Callum at the moment where you're like, where you're like, just because you put a lot of thought into things now makes it make me feel anxious about like the amount of thought that I have to put into something. And I'm like, well, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's a double edged sword, isn't it? Mm. Okay. So. So you've actually taken this news pretty badly, um, which suggests to me that you're holding on pretty tight here, <laughs> uh, especially for something that happened four years ago. Yes, well, it clearly was the worst present that I'd received in all those four years, John. Well, that's debatable. But in any event, <laughs> I think what we can agree on is that we have very different approaches to gift giving. Yes. A lot of the time gift giving has been shown in research to be a kind of an extension of the person who's giving the gifts. This is Paul Harrison. He's a senior lecturer of consumer behaviour across the ditch at Deakin University. That's in Melbourne. There's the incredibly, I don't know, self-centred gift givers who only give gifts that they would like to receive. Now, that's a very selfish way of thinking about it, to say, I'm only going to give you the things that I approve of. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who are incredibly skilled listeners. They understand people. They've spent a lot of time understanding what makes the person that they're giving the gift to happy. And they're the ones who actually sometimes challenge their particular norms, their particular belief systems and values and give the gifts that people want. And then there's everybody in the middle. And one of the things that people might like to reflect upon is when I give a gift, is the gift an extension of me? Am I trying to say to that person, this is how I'd like you to be, or this is something that I love and I want you to love it as well. And there's so many different motivations for what leads to that gift. None of them is wrong or right. It's about finding the right way for your group, for your tribe to express whatever it is that you want. And that requires a bit of engagement with and reflection upon your motivations and the reasons why you're actually giving those gifts, which a lot of people at Christmas don't really want to do because they just want to get it over and done with. That's pretty much exactly what you said, John, um, about your secret centre gift giving to me you didn't put much thought into it and it was just something on your to-do list that you needed to take off well you know I wasn't that um unenthused by the whole process but it's in the ballpark of accurate (laughs) anyway moving on I know we mentioned this earlier but I do really think my issue here is one of one of your issues (laughs) No, the <laughs> issue with your shitty gift giving is that I put in a lot of thought to the gift I gave to my secret Santa and I just didn't get that back and I was aggrieved. Gift giving 
obviously generates certain reciprocal feelings, right? If you give me a gift, I feel the need to reciprocate. And that leads to creation of what you might think of as networks of reciprocity. This is Ananush Chowdhury. He's a professor of behavioral and experimental economics at the University of Auckland. Economics makes me think about money. Money. But that's not what this is about. Behavioral economics is essentially how psychology, emotion and culture affect our decision making. Have you guys seen this show called The Big Bang Theory? Yes. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of Big Bang Theory, right? So for people who don't know this, so this is a show about four nerdy Celtic graduates, <laughs> Sheldon, Leonard, Howard and Raj. And Penny is a beguiling young lady who lives across the hallway from Sheldon and Leonard. And Leonard is deeply in love with uh, Penny. Okay, so Penny is going to that give them a gift. That was an excellent summary. <laughs> yeah, so, so Penny is going to give them a gift. And now Sheldon has gone to the mall and he has bought multiple different gift baskets of different value. <laughs> and the idea is that as soon as Penny hands him the Christmas gift, he is going to pretend that he has an upset stomach and he has to go to the bathroom. He's going to run to his bedroom and he's going to look up the value of her gift and then give her a gift basket of exact equivalent value. <laughs> this Christmas, Sheldon is relaxed because he doesn't have to feel you know, bad or obligated. He doesn't have to give her a, va- a gift of less value or more value. So he's, he's really relaxed. You know, he has got it together this Christmas. So then Penny walks in and hands him a wrapped box and Sheldon opens it. And he is completely stunned because inside there is a used napkin and he's, he's thinking, what am I going to do with this? And he says, you know, what is this? And then Penny says that Leonard Nimoy, who plays Dr. Spock in Star Trek. Um, so Sheldon is obviously a huge fan of Leonard Nimoy, Dr. Spock. And it turns out that this is a napkin that Dr. Spock came to Cheesecake Factory. He used this napkin and he wiped his face with the napkin. So he is so overwhelmed that he literally kind of breaks down in tears and he goes to his room. He gets all the 10 or 15 or 20 gift baskets that he had bought and he brings them all over and gives them to Penny and says, oh, but this is still not enough. Oh. <laughs> right? so, so that's the kind of you know, gift giving reciprocity that we create at Christmas. Uh, mm. Anyway. So do you think from, no, that's um, quite a good illustration, really. Like, I mean, so it kind of shows you what the different value we put on gifts, right? Like it doesn't necessarily mean like the most if you pay the most for a gift. But I mean, I guess that depends on who you are. Do you think it's more important we spend a lot of money or that we put a lot of thought into it? Like, is there any sort of... That's a highly interesting point Mm. because... There is something that economists call the deadweight loss of Christmas. The idea is that no matter how much money you spend and what gift you get, your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, (laughs) research suggests that they always put a smaller value on the gift that you do. This is a well-documented finding that suppose you went, you know, you shopped around and you bought a gift for $100. When the recipients of the gift are asked, how much are you willing to spend for that gift? They will say, let's say $70. Wow. Which means... It's slightly depressing. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's this is a this is a well documented finding. There's actually a book uh, on this by a gentleman from Michigan called Scroogeonomics, which say, shows this <laughs> that that your gift is always valued less. Wow. But there are a couple of points here. One is, you know, then the economists, because economists are all rational, economists would say, hey, just give people an envelope stuffed with cash. <laughs> right? Mm. Um, but that's not very not, thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> that's not very thoughtful, right? Yeah. So one intermediate option, of course, is to buy a gift card, because then, you know, the person who gets the gift card is kind of has more flexibility. Mm. There, there is one other interesting fact here. I have to tell you, I do a lot of work on gender, and so please don't assume that I'm biased or anything. But the fact is, women will spend a lot more money on Christmas than men will, for the simple reason that men typically don't buy a lot of gifts for people outside like a small circle. Mm. Women typically buy gifts for a wide network of people. That's partly because I guess women are, are certainly, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that women are more caring or helping than men are. In or are sense. seeking more reciprocity. Seeking more reciprocity. There is certainly evidence that, you know, in terms of studies looking at generosity, altruism, women tend to be more altruistic than men. I mean, I don't know I, if I'd appreciated the whole dead weight loss aspect of Christmas where someone always assigns a lesser value to your Christmas present. Yeah, tell me about that. So how does that work? (laughs) It means your (laughs) present was $5, not $20. Well, I guess we're we're making value value judgments all the time, aren't we? And that's, that's just another example of this. But does that mean like you should overspend in order to like get the correct value for the perception no, I wouldn't because the marketers would just play on that. And I guess with so much money on the table, people like me who just want to get our Christmas shopping out of the way and make it quick and easy, well, we'd become even more of a marketer's dream. What marketers do is that they use what we might call those vulnerabilities and they say, we're going to make it easy for you. And I think, I guess if the relationship is important to you, then using the tools that marketers give you that make it easy for you to some degree might actually take away the um, the genuineness, the, the sincerity of the gift giving. This is Paul Harrison again. He's also written extensively about Christmas and gift giving from a marketing perspective. So what are these marketing tools he's talking about? The kind of tools that can convince us not to put in too much thought and just buy unicorn sunglasses instead. <laughs> Well, one part of it is that a lot of the time marketers can't necessarily get you to buy things that you don't want. So we already go in with an intention. What marketers do is that they have quite a lot of power to understand the vulnerabilities. And so to some degree, I already have to be willing to accept the idea of Christmas in the first instance and the idea of gift giving and the ritual and those kinds of things. Then what happens is marketers will use a whole bunch of cues and there's been a whole bunch of research in different areas, you know, um, the effect of Christmas trees, for example, and how that makes people feel more generous when the Christmas trees are around or hearing Christmas music. Again, people might feel frustrated and annoyed by it, but actually it still builds up a particular mood in many people to think, yes, I need to participate in this, but also it conjures up a whole bunch of other elements of our cultural connections to Christmas music, like the movies that we've seen over the years where they play Christmas music. All of this is subtle. All of this is 
kind of feeding into, you know, a big model of the, the final behaviour, whatever that final behaviour is. So all of this goes hand in hand. What marketers do is that they say, we'll target the people with the things that we know that will get them to the next stage. And that next stage might be the, the actual purchase, but it might be getting you into the zone where you're considering this and then there'll be another step. And that's, I guess that's where marketers are a little bit cluey is that they understand how to move people through the different stages of purchase and they constantly intervene with ways to make it as easy as possible for you to take those steps. So to the point when you actually buy it, they've made the success and you haven't noticed all of these different little interventions that have come along pretty much throughout your entire life, but certainly in those kind of periods leading up to the purchase. And, you know, marketers will always say, we actually don't really have much influence over the final purchase. It's what we do before the final purchase that has so much effect on us buying our particular products. Even if you're one of those people who hates Christmas music and shops and all the sparkly lights and the tinsel, it doesn't really matter. They're not trying to pipe enjoyment into our ears. They're priming you to buy shit. Exactly. You're exactly right. Christmas music gets you into the mood. Christmas trees, the window displays, those kinds of things, again, build up, I guess, an inevitability that you've got to participate in this and it becomes then very difficult to not. And it's not the man or it's not some kind of conspiracy. We're all part of it. And we're also kind of contributing to it because consumption is such a critical part of capitalism. But it is also that that is, again, kind of a a circular process of then us participating in that, being part of it, feeding money into the system. And it just all goes over and over and around and around. And that's the world, basically. So with everything we've heard so far in mind, it's not really a surprise that we're so disposed to buying and giving gifts at Christmas time. Humans have been giving gifts since at least Roman times. It helps us build social bonds, and marketers are very adept at encouraging us to do this. But it's pretty undeniable that as a species, we also need to consume less. And that's not easy at Christmas. Yeah, and it takes effort. It takes effort to step back and say, should I be doing this? It takes effort not to participate in something that everybody else is participating in. You actually do need to challenge norms and... When you're challenging norms, you're an outsider. And so in a way, even though you might be doing what is probably the right thing to do, by challenging, people are saying, why are you doing this? And I think a a very similar kind of context is when you turn up to a party and you say, I'm not drinking alcohol, which is, again, a very positive thing to do. People always go, oh, why? It's the same with Christmas. It's that thing where it's such a part of life that actually not participating in the way that people expect you to is actually challenging the norm and then there's the backlash and the backlash might be low low key it might be kind of oh why but then it might be oh you're just you know you're being a scrooge which again is kind of built into the culture is if you don't participate charles dickens says you're a scrooge i 100 percent don't want to be seen as some kind of christmas killjoy too late Especially after the year we've all had, John. I want my gift giving to spread some happiness, but I also know that we've got way too much crap already. 
Often what we find in research around gift giving in general is that giving people an experience as opposed to a thing, a material item, gives people longer joy and satisfaction than giving them something that that is solid like a material item. And the reason is because the experience itself has a whole bunch of attributes both leading up to the experience, during the experience, and it also reinforces the relationship because the experience gives people an opportunity to talk about the actual experience. So I think that's where you're going to get the best value and that's where you're going to get the best at the giving end, the best reward, but also at the receiving end. That makes sense to me because you get the anticipation of it, I guess. Then the event itself is like something you can bond over. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting. I've just started doing a lot of research on um, the dopamine loop. And one of the really interesting things is that we're kind of seeing now with dopamine, which is, you know, that reward hormone, is that anticipation, anticipating something that is good has a really strong effect on this sense of reward. So, even the lead up to something is really exciting as well because you're talking about it and you're planning it and you're going, oh, you know, let's let's look at this. Now, as long as there is a connection that you can keep uh, building that social relationship, they're going to be a lot better gifts than necessarily just buying something. So, John, over this episode of Consume This, we've been unwrapping the mysteries of Christmas gift giving. What do you think we figured out? Well, I think we know that you're high needs. <laughs> we've definitely circled around that issue and put a line through it. Yeah, sorry, Callum. Um, oh, but it, look, it's a sensitive and emotional topic. And I think if you feel that you've emotionally invested in the transaction that is the kind of reciprocal giving of gifts and the other person hasn't come to the party mm. um, regardless of how um, illogical your position is it's um, <laughs> it, it, there's something you know you feel that right? yeah thanks for joining us on Consume This with me John and me Sophie this episode was produced by Tom Race smith Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ We're a not-for-profit organisation, which is supported by our members. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a member. Membership gives you access to a whole heap of benefits. To find out more, just search Consumer NZ or click the link in the show notes. Thanks to Katie Cooper at Te Papa and everyone else we spoke to whilst researching this episode. And big ups this week to our guests, Ali Clark, Anish Chaudhry and Paul Harrison. Ka kite! Ho, 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 it's Santa here. And don't forget, it's the season of peace and the time to be jolly. Hello, I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.